Lord Jesus, we welcome the revelation of your Holy Spirit. We welcome the opening of our eyes and the receptivity of our spirit. We ask you today, as we look upon your word, that it would come alive to us, each one. You would help me today to say the words that would be anointed by you and that you would communicate to us the content of what you had your servant write down. Thank you in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. The prayers of the Apostle Paul. We've been going through this. This is actually number four. Uh, as we are going through these prayers. And uh, this one is just kind of straightforward. I've entitled it, That Your Love May Abound. And you'll remember last week that we talked about uh, that that you may comprehend God's love. There was a comprehension. Uh, and I told you that today we're going to get a little more into what it looks like, what it is. I'm going to give you, actually, before I'm done, you will get several, what I would call maybe just definitions of what love, of agape love really is. You'll get it from uh, different viewpoints. We'll quote two or three people other than me uh, about what God's love really is. Uh, and I said last week that one of the things we have to remember is the fact that I have agape for you doesn't mean that I like you. That's just the way it is. I probably do, but that's not what it means. And it doesn't mean that I have to approve of everything you do or say. So, Paul writes this prayer, and is, again, it's kind of straightforward. It's basically just that he prays for an abundance of God's love in our lives. Abundance of God's love in our lives. So that we can understand what God's love looks like. What God's love looks like. We, we want to just see what agape, we use the word agape, which is the Greek word, and it's very commonplace. It's so commonplace that you have a lot of ministries. Uh, when we were teenagers, we were part of a ministry in Homa, Louisiana, Agape House Coffee. Back then you had coffee shops, coffee houses all over the place. Uh, and so uh, the word agape, and of course the, the Greek word is, is harder to say. Uh, C-H-E-S-E-D, Hesed, and of course if you were Jewish you'd say it a, little, a lot different than that, but I can't do it the way they do it. But it's, it's basically an unconditional love and we'll get to that. But, but everything we're going to talk about today is based and rooted in the word agape or Hesed, although most of everything we're going to deal with is in the New Testament. So, if you haven't already, if you would turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 3. <laughs> And we'll read through verse 11. And if you'd stand while we read God's word, I'm going to read once again from the English Standard Version. And it reads this way. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer for you all. He's a southerner, by the way. Making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, saints, God's not going to be finished with you until the day of Jesus Christ. So don't expect, anyway, I'm, I'm getting off track. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers 
with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent or test what is excellent. And so you be, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You could be seated. Paul makes a reference to the fact that he, while writing this letter, is in prison. He is, he is probably chained to a guard. I don't know that. Uh, but he's definitely in prison while he writes the letter to the Ephesians. And he's, he's, uh, uh, I'm talking about the, the Philippians. And he's, he's expressing his connectedness to them, his love to them because of their participation in the gospel. One of the things that connects all of us is our participation in the gospel or the giving of the gospel. And, uh, he says, the meat of what he says is, I pray that your love, everybody say, that's me. Paul's talking about you. I pray that your love would abound more and more, or your love would overflow is the word there. And we all know what happens. If you've got children, you know what happens when they overflow the, the glass of water that you just gave them. It's all over you and the floor and the dog and everything else. Because it's overflowed. And when we, when the agape that God has shed abroad in our hearts overflows, it spills over on somebody. And by the way, that's a good thing. It's okay to get people wet with love. I might might reword that. (laughs) And the more and more part of what Paul is saying uh, tells us there, this is a progression. This is a growth. This is, this is, you know, I used to tell my boys and they'd say, How, what do I need to do? I said, take one foot and put it in front of the other one. And when they do it, I said, now take that back foot and put it in front of that one. And just keep doing that till you get where you're going. There's a progression to what God does in our lives. And when he says, I pray that your love would overflow more and more, there's a progression there. It's not like you just flip a switch and you got it all. It doesn't work that way. But it's a daily, every day, every minute, every week walk with God. As the old song says, and the verse says, from glory to glory, he's changing me. It's a step. He makes an interesting statement, though. He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. With knowledge and discernment. So it's not enough just to have the agape. That's that's a lot. But we need to have God's uh, God's love with uh, with knowledge and discernment. Why would that be? Well, the Spirit-filled life Bible says it this way: With love, there comes a spiritual sense, a spiritual sight, and a spiritual hearing, a sense of the beauty of holiness, a fine perception of Christian propriety, because we see something. The ESV study Bible says it may be a little clearer so that the Philippians love and our love would find expression in wise actions that would truly benefit others and glorify God. That's that's the knowledge and the discernment 
that Paul prays that you and I have that gives us the ability to have wise actions that will benefit the good of others, which is basically the root of what agape really means. Uh, and, and in so doing, he says, in so doing, if you will do this, if your love will abound in incremental progression with knowledge and discernment for the benefit of others, then you'll find your way pure and blameless. How, you, we all know, as you know, you've heard me quote the great theologian Pogo many times, we have met the enemy and he is us. We are our own worst enemy most of the time. And when we are, when we are abounding and overflowing in God's agape towards people with knowledge and discernment that we are spilling over on them, that makes us pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. Because to the degree that we can get ourselves out of the way, to the degree that we can get ourselves off of the throne of our lives and allow Jesus to sit on the throne. I love Bill Bright's little stick drawing. Some of you old enough to remember the four spiritual laws. When Jesus is on the throne and we've moved ourselves out of the way, which is, by the way, not easy. And there's a reason Paul said, I die daily. It's not a one-time deal. But we are pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. But he makes a really important statement, really important that we can't miss in verse uh, 10. He's so that you may, uh, I mean, he says, uh, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may be, approve what is excellent. You may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's important. We can't miss that. See, none of this comes through uh, our figuring something out. None of this comes through our deciding to be good today. And it's good to do both of those, but real pure and blameless and real filled with the fruit of righteousness comes through what we just talked about during communion, our fellowship our koinonia with Jesus Christ. So what does love look like? We're going to cover this from different angles, so just hang on. What does love look like to us? Last week, uh, George Akron gave me a bug in my ear about a, a definition that Dallas Willard offers. And, and George, I found the exact quote, and this is what it says. Love is not desire. It is to will the good of others. Let that sink in. We say, I love chocolate cake, but really we want to eat chocolate cake. That's desire. That's not what agape is. We love something or someone when we promote its good for its own sake. Or putting briefly, agape is always looking out for the good of others. We're going to we just hang on because we're going to use, we're going to stack Precept upon precept here today. But John Piper says it this way. Love is the overflow and expansion of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Can you see how if you love something or someone so that you could promote its good for its own sake and that 
your love overflows that gladly meets the needs of others. Can you see how that if you're in that place, you can be pure and blameless and you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness because we have moved our own self to the side. Uh, the definition that I think it's a spiritual life Bible gives in its word wealth for the Greek word agape says agape denotes an undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill. Can you read that? I, I, it looks kind of small back there, but I think, okay, anyway, uh, a benevolent and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person, no matter what he or she does. Mel Chauvinist wrote that. I'm fixing it for you. It is the self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return and does not consider the worth of its object. Agape is more a love by choice than philos, which is love by chance. And it refers to the will rather than the emotion. Agape describes the unconditional. Everybody say unconditional. Well, that's an important word here. Agape describes the unconditional love God has for the world. He decided. So then we move into the character of love. And you would want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 uh, for this section. Uh, and we'll stay there probably the rest of the time. But the character of love. What are, or, or you might say the characteristics of love. What does it look like? We're still saying what does it look like? What is love? What is what is God's love? Now, you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, I assume. And if you're not, don't feel bad. Um, but we call this the love chapter. I remember one time as a teenager, our pastor, we were in the Southern Baptist Church, and our pastor one Sunday night probably, it was either Sunday night or Wednesday night, and looking back, he probably had not prepared anything. Uh, he, he, he worked a full-time job and pastored our church too. But anyway, he got up and he read this chapter, the entire chapter, and then he said, then he prayed and we were dismissed. And I, th- I thought as a teenager, well, that's kind of duh. Well, I don't know what that, what's that about? He didn't even preach a sermon or anything. Yeah, he did. He did. He, even if he, even if he did it because he didn't have time to prepare a sermon, he did it because God's word comes alive. And the love chapter, we call it that because it begins to describe what love is. Uh, in some ways what it's not, but mostly what it is. And he makes this list. And by the way, here's what I want to tell you. I, I shouldn't even say the word list. I don't want you to see this as a checklist. I don't want us to end the day, okay, love is patient, check mark. Love is kind, check mark. No, we want to see the entirety of what Paul is saying here because we want you to recognize what agape is, not what checkpoints you can check off. And, and so he says, love is patient. First Corinthians 13, uh, four. Love is patient. Now, isn't it interesting if Paul is going to describe for us what God's love looks like and what the characteristics of God's love are, isn't it interesting that he would start with the word patient? You know why? Because we're human beings. We're flawed individuals. And if there's one thing we have a problem with, it's patience. By the way, John writes in his epistle, one of his epistles, and by the way, the, you know, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles, contrary to popular opinion. 
John writes in his epistle, God is love. Everybody say that. God is love. You could, without doing damage at all to the, to the uh, inerrancy of the Scripture and to the interpretation of Scripture, you could, within this chapter, you could say God is patient. God is kind. And you could go through the whole list, substituting God for the word love. If God is love, then he's that too. So we're really seeing the character of God. Love is patient. True agape is always willing to give the benefit of the doubt. If you give the benefit of the doubt, then you can, you can be patient. Of course, another word for patient is to be long-suffering. Now, I know some of you have felt like you have suffered long with people too many times. But true agape says, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. God's love waits patiently to see the end result of the process. Instead of jumping to a conclusion, instead of having an emotional reaction, God's love says, I'm going to hang on and I'm going to watch, watch to the end of this process and see where it leads. Instead of just jumping up and going feet first in the middle of it. That's patience. By the way, I'm going through this fast, so just hang on. You have the notes on your uh, version Bible app. He says, love is kind. And this is an interesting word. It really means to be fit for use or adaptable. Adaptable. It's to provide what is beneficial for the other party. Sounds like agape, doesn't it? It's to, it's to, to make ourselves adaptable to them. Do you see how this is self-killing? This is flesh-killing? We scream. God's love always makes a way and becomes fit to be used in any given circumstance. God's love looks for a way that you and I can be useful to one another. And useful in someone's life. God's love, agape, is not demanding, but it's accommodating. And it always assumes a disposition of service. So when you're dealing with people, what is your, what is your disposition? What is your approach? Are you demanding? Are you wondering, when am I going to get mine? Or are you happy? We'll get, we'll come back to that. Love, does not envy, or is it jealous? Oh, me. Have you ever been around someone, and they say, you, someone says, man, did you hear about so-and-so? Man, they got them a great job, and they got them a nice big house, and a new car, and they got all this good stuff. And this person, instead of, boy, that's great. Instead of, well, boy, I wish I could get some of that. You go, Some of you going, I've done that. We've all done that. Our first reaction is, well, why couldn't it have been me? Why did they get all that? Well, it's not always because they're the more righteous, I can tell you that. Envy or jealousy would seek to dilute what God has done by desiring the blessing rather than rejoicing with the blessed. And the question is, when we see someone who we would, what we would perceive as having received a blessing of some kind, do we, do we desire the blessing or can we rejoice with the blessed? Because if we, if we desire the blessing, we're diluting, trying to dilute what God has done. We can't dilute what he did, but as far as we're concerned, it's diluting. Jealousy can't get past our own selfish desires and ambitions. Opie Taylor. 
is going to run the 50-yard dash. And Barney has promised him that he's going to win and get a medal. Opie don't even care about winning the race. He just wants a medal. And he even dreams that he won the race. And, they, and he's pinned all kind of medals on him. So they, they, the day comes that they have the 50-yard dash. Barney fires the gun. And the boys take off running. And Opie comes in woefully last. Woefully last. Opie Taylor wasn't much of an athlete, if you ask me. But anyway, that's a whole different... Then he goes home. He leaves the contest. He goes home. Andy gets home. Where were you? Why'd you leave? And Opie's words were, they got my medal. That's my medal. They got my medal. And, of course, I would have been me. I'd have said, no. If it been your medal, you'd have come in first. You came in last. No medal for you. God help us to get past the day when every kid on the team gets a trophy. Good Lord Almighty. We have ruined our culture. We'll go back to preaching now. They got my medal. How many times have we seen people and we think, well, they got my medal? And anyway, that's another thing. Love will rejoice with those whom God has blessed with abundance and not moan, why not me? That sounds like a country song, don't it? I'm glad I didn't write it. I'm glad I wrote it. I'm glad I wish I had wrote it. Love does not brag or boast. This is a hard one. To brag or boast is to lift ourselves up into a position of superiority because we don't, we feel like, it's like the old guy said one time, if I don't toot my own horn, nobody's going to toot it for me. We feel like if we don't exalt and elevate ourselves to some place of superiority, nobody's going to, and so we're always going to be somebody's doormat. I'd rather be a doormat in the kingdom of God than to be someone who's always trying to elevate myself. And we do that. We're human beings. It's normal for us to do that. Um, to, to not brag or boast means to not parade our accomplishments. I am getting so tired of these college football players and pros too for that matter. I mean, even my own purple and gold team, who won last night, by the way. I mean, these kids, they'll make a tackle. A guy will run for 20 yards, and they'll make a tackle, and they'll jump up like they won the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking, hey, dude, he just got 20 yards on you. <laughs> or they'll run into the camera. Yesterday, I was watching the, well, I just said, I was watching the Iron Bowl. Somebody lost, and somebody won. But anyway, and one of their players, great player. Great player. He's going he's gonna to make a million, millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. But one, this one guy, every time he scored a touchdown, he said he did several times, he ran to the nearest camera and posed. If I coach those boys, they'd probably never play again. Because I'd tell him, you hand that ball to the referee and you go back to the sideline or you go to the locker room. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye. I wouldn't put up with that nonsense. I'm, I'm ranting again. I'm going to get back to preaching. When we are exhibiting God's nature, we won't be concerned with drawing attention to ourselves or our exploits. That's a tough one because we all need approval. We, we all need approbation. 
God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased because he understands that we all have a need for approval. But that we need to be able to distinguish between the need for approval and the, and the necessity to exalt ourselves and elevate and brag. Agape doesn't do that. Why? Because agape is concerned for the benefit of others. Hmm. Love is not arrogant. The word Paul uses there in the text is a word that means to be blown up with bellows. Some of us are old enough, and maybe all of us know what bellows are. You put wind on the fire to stoke you to get it going. There's a word there, inflated, too. And bellows are used to cause something to arise that isn't really visible or prominent. It has something to do with hot air. To take the bellows and make something that isn't to be something, try to make it, make it, get that spark going. And to be arrogant, that's what we do. We're arrogant and trying to puff ourselves up. There is an element of being puffed up. Agape keeps us from having an inflated view of our importance so that we're not a legend in our own mind. Too many people are that. Love is not rude. Ernest E. Bass said, I got a rude. I bet you never got a rude. So why do you keep quoting Andy Griffith's show? I don't know. Because unless you saw that episode, it means nothing to you. Love is not, love does not act unbecomingly. Agape is not insensitive to the current circumstances and it behaves properly. It behaves with civility and propriety. Love behaves for the moment. All of these are going back to one thing, that if we are interested in the good of others, we will not be rude. We will not be arrogant. Love does not seek its own or its own interests. Love always responds with the interest in the good of others. The text says love does not insist on its own way. I've got my rights. Well, that may be working okay in the court of law, but when we're, we're in the kingdom of God, um, we should not insist on our love will not insist on its own way. A.C. Thistleton, a theologian, writes, Agape spells judgment on the life that centers around the ego and its interests. For when God's agape is shed abroad in a man's heart through the Holy Spirit, his life thereby gains a new center of gravity. The emphasis is transferred from his own ego to Christ. Love is not provoked or irritated. James exhorts us in the first chapter of his letter. It says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Boy, how I have proved that verse time and time again. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's like, we're reminding ourselves that we all have two ears and one mouth. There's a reason for that. Slow to speak, quick to hear and slow to speak, in my opinion, always leads to slow to anger. 
Because whenever I've gotten myself in trouble, it's because I wasn't slow to speak. I said, I threw a dagger. Trouble is when you throw a dagger, it always comes back and daggers you. God's love teaches us to not jump to conclusions or to respond too quickly to adverse circumstances. God, God's love and the fruit of his Holy Spirit is self-control. God's love says, if you're interested in the other person's benefit, then you're not going to jump to conclusions. You're not going to jump up and get irritated over something needlessly. Now, hang on, because this one gets us all. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The New Jerusalem Bible says it does not store up grievances. Sometimes we keep a ledger. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but but how many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you have a ledger of wrongs somewhere in your memory? or You may even have a list in your pocket. I don't know. Sometimes we keep a ledger of wrongs, and here's why. We don't believe God is going to deal with the injustice. We don't think God will deal with this person and deal with the injustice that we have suffered. Like God's some puny little mealy mouth God who can't handle this deal. No, I think sometimes we understand that God's judgment, listen, God's judgment is always redemptive. Our judgment is almost never redemptive. We get so happy when we hear something that happened to somebody else that did us wrong or that we disagree with or they're on the wrong team. They got a D or an R in front of their or after their name. If we're going to walk in agape and overflow in agape, we must don't, we must stop looking at our ledger. Basically, we should destroy our ledger. We should not have a record of wrongs. Don't keep a list. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or injustice. Proverbs says it this way, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. You sure wish I hadn't read that one, don't you? Oh, me. Because we do that. Someone who, you know, whatever. When something happens, they have a flat tire. We drive by the interstate and they're on the side of the road with a flat tire. We're going, cha-ching! <laughs> Couldn't happen to a better guy. That's not agape. I'm going to tell you what agape does. It turns around and goes back and helps them fix their flat tire. I better pre- quit preaching. I'm preaching myself into a hole here. <laughs> It's no coincidence that right after Paul says, keep no record of wrongs, he follows it with don't rejoice in injustice. Because true agape rejoices only when truth and righteousness prevail. True agape. And then he kind of finishes out with this. He says, love covers all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In other words, he says, I've given you these characteristics of love. And just in case you didn't understand what I just said, let me just say this. 
It covers all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love, agape, is constant. Agape is a constant in our lives. It's not hot and it's not cold according to the circumstance. It's the same. So whether you drive by someone who has called you bad names on the highway and they got a flat tire, or you drive by someone who you like who's had a flat tire, you still do the same thing for either one of them. I want to tell you that it's good to believe the best about people. And you don't have to be blindly naive to do that. Oh, there's been plenty of times that my my believing the best about people has cost me. Agape says, I'll just pay the cost. I'm not going to get cynical. I don't want to get cynical, although I do. I don't want to get cynical about people and, and have wrong expectations. I want to have agape, which says, I'm expecting the best out of you. And when you're, when, when you wrong me or you fail me and I have egg on my face, I, I, agape says, just keep paying the price. Because love never fails. Everybody say never. You know, never's a long time. Love never fails. It, it, love survives everything. No matter what you throw at agape, it survives it all. And when the dust clears and all, everything is settled down and everything's back to whatever looks like normal, you're still focused on the, the needs of other people, the betterment of other people. Love never gives up in despair. And watch this. We need to be people who are not counted until we can be counted upon. That's agape. Agape is people who can be counted on, who can be dependent, dependent on. That's what God's love is. What is agape? Agape love is active. It's not abstract or passive. It does not simply feel patient. It is patient. It practices patience. It does not simply have kind feelings. It does kind things. God's love doesn't wait for the other party. Love is extended and initiated to the other party. God gives us the example of that. God shows his love for us in that while we were still, everybody say still. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who, who has the initiative in that verse? God has the initiative. While we were still in our sin, God took the initiative and extended his agape towards us. For God so agaped the world that he gave. So we, we follow God's example in that we don't wait for the other person or the other party. We don't wait for them to make a move. If they'll, if they'll act right, I'll act right. That's not agape. Agape says, I'm going to act right whether they do or not. 
We don't do things based on what other people do. We do things based on who we are. Boy, y'all are quiet. Because God's love is without conditions. You don't put conditions on agape. God loves us because of himself. God loves us because of who he is. He, he, the, we just quoted a while ago, God is love. It doesn't, it's not just that God loves, God is love. And because of that, he loves us because of who he is. He's, his agape is extended to us, but while we were still sinners. It's the love that is by choice. It's an act of the will. Now I'm going to finish up. You, you should have received a piece of paper when you came in. Um, and I did this because I've, I've read these to you before and even I think maybe one, or, one of my books that these quotes appear in. But I want you just to have this to take home. And I've, I've been carrying this first definition around with me for 40 years probably because I think it's the best I've ever come across to really understand what agape is. W.E. Vines, which is a great expository dictionary, this is a paraphrase from that, and that is love can be known only from the actions it prompts. Love, agape, prompts actions. The demonstration of God's love is seen in the gift of his son. But obviously, this is not the love of complacency or affection. By that, by that I mean it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. Do you think God saw any excellency in us? No. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice, made without assignable cause except that which lies in the nature of God himself. Christian love or agape, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men in general, or generally, is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom we have some affinity. How many of you know some people are easy to love and some people are not? And then O.C. Quick. I'm giving you this one too. If we could imagine the love of one who loves men purely for their own sake and not because of any need or desire of his own, purely desires their good and yet yet loves them wholly, not for what at this moment they are, but for what he knows he can make of them because he made them. Then we should have in our minds some true image of the love of the Father and Creator of mankind. When I was younger, I heard people say, God made Adam and Eve because he was lonely. Are you kidding? God needed fellowship. The, the, the late Ern Baxter used to say that the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were a sweet society all to themselves. They, the God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit don't need, they don't really need us. In that sense, there's there's a there's a pleasure in God having people. There's a pleasure in having a kingdom. There's a pleasure of God. But as, as O.C. Quick points out, it, it's, uh, God loves us not because of any need or desire of His own. 
I hate to break it to us, God doesn't need or desire anything that we can provide other than through his Holy Spirit. He desires our good and he loves us because he can take, because he made us, he knows what's best for us. Boy, I wish we could get that. Because he made us, he knows what's best for us. And when we follow his prescription of life, we flourish and we have joy and we have love. When we violate his prescription for our lives, we don't have joy. We don't have peace because he made us. It's like the manufacturer of a car. You would think they would know best what makes that vehicle tick. It's like the show I saw years and years and years ago. Science fiction show where a guy created a, a robot, an android, and he was going all over trying to find his creator. And finally somebody asked him, why are you, why are you spending so much time trying to, of course you're talking to a robot, but anyway, it's science fiction. Trying to find your creator, he said, because without my creator, I am incomplete. You and I are incomplete. Not only are we incomplete without our creator, but we're incomplete if we follow a way of life, a method of life that is not his prescription. We just got to believe, as the old TV show said, that Father knows best. He does. He really does. He, God's not a fuddy-duddy. Let's put out a bunch of rules so we won't have any fun. But he's a father who says to us, don't go play out in the traffic because you'll get run over and you'll die. And we say, oh, he's just an old man. He didn't want me to have any fun. I want to go play in the traffic. You see, if any of us who have children or grandchildren, if we saw our little one running out into the traffic, we'd tackle them. We wouldn't care if we scraped their knee. We wouldn't care. We would tackle them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't buy their argument when they said, hey, I, I want to do what I want to do. And if you love me, you let me do what I want to do. We wouldn't do that. And yet we want God to do that with us. Oh, goodness. It just kills me. It just kills me to see people settling for less. Less. God's love loves us regardless. He, he, he doesn't like everything we do. Every one of us in this room. He doesn't like everything we do, everything we say. He doesn't like everywhere we go. He doesn't like a lot of what we do, but he's still, his, his commitment to us is unconditional. When you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Amen. Stand with me.